Revelation chapter 9. Take your Bible and join me this morning. Revelation chapter 9. Amanda Bryant is here. She is the better looking half of Wes and Amanda Bryant. Right? She's afraid I'm going to say something and embarrass her, and I will if she wants me to, but I'm just going to let you know she's here. Mary's glad because I can embarrass Mary, too, so they, they go together. But we're glad you're here. Amen. Revelation 9 is one of those chapters where, well, you just really don't know what to think of it. We're coming into the, the, the final days of God's judgment uh, on the earth. And we've been talking about that in, in breaking the, the seven seals. And of course, when we broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for a half hour. And then the trumpets began to sound. And the seventh seal is the trumpets. And so we'll, we'll go from the seals to the trumpets, the trumpets into the bowls of God's judgment that is going to fall on this earth. For all of those who uh, were not caught up in the rapture, uh, the church being gone, and we've already discussed that, we've talked about that, the church gone, all of those who are left will either have the seal of the Antichrist or they will try their best to dodge him, but, or they'll be killed. But I also reminded you, and I'm going to do this again a little bit later on in this message, let me remind you again that in 2 Thessalonians, Paul wrote and said that there is no second chance for those who come when the tribulation begins, who come out of this, this time, the age of grace, into this time of tribulation. Once you pass that, then you've rejected Christ totally and you will be given over to disillusionment and you will believe the things that the Antichrist is saying and then there is no chance to change all of that. Okay, now, now keep that in mind because I've got some things to say about those particular things here in just a minute. Okay, now the trumpets, just like the seals, are divided. There are four trumpets and then there are three trumpets. Now, what we are, are dealing with is these trumpets of woe that we heard about in Revelation 8. The last verse, verse 13, the angel or the eagle, whichever you're reading, and, and both of those fit in that, they come forth and they cry out, woe, woe, woe. The first woe, the second, and then the third. The first woe is upon the, the, the uh, trumpets sounding, five, or the second woe on five and six. And that's what we're going to see here in chapter nine. These last three trumpets that, that you're going to hear are going to provide the woes for those who remain here on the earth. Now, as I went through this this past week, and you read it, you read it, and you read what others say. I read one uh, particular uh, author that I read, and 
when he began his writing on chapter 9, he said this, Dr. Wilbur Smith is years ago, but he was a great theologian, and he made Revelation his, his challenge. He, he wanted to know Revelation. He wanted to be able to help others with Revelation. Now, here's what he said about chapter 9. Apart from chapters 17 and 18, now, of course, we're going to get to that, and I could tell you what it's about now, but that doesn't matter. Apart from chapter 17 and 18, chapter 9 represents the most difficulty in trying to understand what John is saying to us. We're going to see that as we read through here and find out just exactly what's going to happen when this fifth trumpet blows and then the sixth trumpet will blow. When you read about God's judgment falling on the earth, the wrath of God, and we come uh, uh, into chapter 6, and, and uh, John said, uh, people are crying out and saying, who can withstand this wrath of God, the wrath of the Lamb? And people say, well, if God is God, why is it all wrath? Why, is it, why isn't he a God of love? Why is he a God that, that loves us, that has mercy on us, that extends grace to us? Why don't we see that kind of a God? Not a God of wrath. A true God would not allow the wrath to come forth from who he is. Well, the interesting thing is this. As you sit here right now, for God so loved you, he gave us your only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I want you to know something. God loves you. And he loves you so much, he sent his son to die for you. This is Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday that Jesus rode into Jerusalem with everybody crying and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us, save us now. He comes riding in, and all of a sudden, they turn on him. God loves you. God loves you so much that he has allowed you to be a part of what we call the, day, the age of the Gentiles. The door to grace is opened. You can accept Christ as your Savior here and now. You can know Him and you can prepare yourself. But folks, God's wrath is not on a particular individual. God's wrath is against the sin that has plagued this world from the Garden of Eden. The kinsman redeemer is taking back what was taken away. What Adam sold to Satan. The kinsman redeemer has risen. The kinsman redeemer is alive and now he has come back. So, okay, preacher, but you know, I'm, I'm still young. Got a lot of time. Well, if you read in Acts 1, 7, the, the disciples said to Jesus, when are you going to restore the kingdoms to Israel? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the time or the seasons that God is going to do his work. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said, you don't know the time that God is going to once again come back. And this time of tribulation is going to take place. You don't know that time. Second Peter chapter 3 one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day in the sight of God. Yes. It's all about the timing, folks. Yes. 
Now, you've got people that uh, talk about Greenwich Mean Time, which, which is, is where we set all of our clocks. That, that's supposed to be that particular time. And, and when time gets off on that, then everything is out of kelter. But as we look at our, at our watches today, then we say, okay, it's this time, it's this time. And sometimes we'll miss something. Maybe we didn't know. Maybe we hadn't heard. But I'm going to tell you something. The time of God's wrath, the time of the tribulation, has been set. Now, if you don't hear anything else, listen to me. The time of the tribulation has been set. And you and I are marching toward the rapture or the tribulation. It depends on your relationship with Jesus Christ. The time is set. And it's all about the timing as to what God is going to do. Okay? Now... As we read this, I want, I want you to bear with me because I'm just going to kind of move through the first 12 verses and then uh, verse 13 through 19. Uh, is We're just going to kind of make sure we understand basically what John is trying to say to us here. And, I don't, and sometimes I think John's not real sure. He's just telling us everything that he saw. So the title of the message is, It's All in the Timing, and I'll show you why. Uh, as we get over into the second part of this. But just take note, verse 1, it's time for the star to shine. And the star is beginning to shine, and we'll try to figure out who that is. Verse 1 says, The fifth angel sounded, I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. Now let me mention a couple of things to you here. Number 1, in the Greek language, and if you have a New International Version or another version, it will read like this. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star that had fallen from heaven. You get it? You see it? Okay. King James says, I saw a star fall. Actually, what John wrote there was, a star that had fallen from heaven, and to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. Now, the word there for the bottomless pit is the word abyss. And we've, we've read about the abyss, we've heard about the abyss, but understand this, this is not hell. The abyss is the deep place where the captive angels are being held. And so what's being unlocked here is the abyss. Now, the word abyss in, in, the, in the Greek language, the word means the deep, depth, okay? If you remember when Jesus went to the Gadarene, in Luke chapter 8, and he released the, the uh, devils from this man that uh, they call Legion because he had so many demons within him. And the demons cried out and said, Lord, you cast us out, but don't cast us into the deep. The word abyss. That's where they're being held. That's where they are right at this particular time. We'll read about the abyss again in chapter 20 when Jesus takes Satan and casts him into the abyss. Because you see, the home for Satan and all of his minions and all of those who want to follow him is hell. The abyss is the deep. Okay? Now, I saw a star that had fallen from heaven, the abyss. Now, it could be, and some, some will even say, that this is Satan. 
because it's not like in chapter 8 and verse 10 where a star falls from heaven. This is, this is something uh, that is uh, physical. But this star that he's talking about here is personal because you see he is handed a key, a key to the abyss. So it has to be someone personal. And, and our minds go back to, Revela- or to Isaiah 14 <coughs> and then into the book of Ezekiel. And both of them talk about Satan falling from heaven. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven with his minions behind him. Even one third of the angels followed after Satan to rise above and take over the throne of God. And they were cast out. The angels that would not change are in the abyss. Satan, of course, is running free. So now he's been given a key. He opened the bottomless pit. There arose smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace. The sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locust upon the earth. And unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass or the earth, nor any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. Now, whether this is Satan or this is an archangel of Satan, it's hard to tell. If you want to say that's Satan, that's fine. If you want to see it as as an archangel, that's fine too. Here's what I want you to notice. First of all, there is nothing done from Satan or the archangel, even those coming out of the abyss, without God's permission. The only way they can get out is for God to unleash that and then whether it was the the fifth angel that sounded the trumpet or another angel we don't know they handed him the key to unlock it but he could not do that unless God permitted it secondly they could not do anything to the people as far as killing them they couldn't hurt the grass they couldn't hurt the trees they couldn't uh, destroy anything else God said Here's what you will do, and you're restricted, you're limited. Same thing with Job. Satan says, let me have Job. God said, okay, you can have Job, don't you kill him. Don't take his life. He's restricted. And I'm going to tell you something here today, this morning, folks. God still has Satan on a leash. Because if he wasn't, you and I couldn't stand this. Because Satan is after you to destroy you. But God is reining him back. He cannot do anything without the permission of Almighty God. He's under God's control. And so now, he sends out what appears to be locusts. Now this smoke is smoke like coal, burning, black, coming up out of this abyss. And now, out of the smoke, there comes the locust. Now, isn't it, isn't it interesting that when you read about the locust in the Old Testament, especially when God sent the locust uh, when he was uh, uh, sending the plagues upon Egypt to get his people turned loose, they ate everything that they could that was green. And a locust today, they eat the grass, they eat the trees, they eat the vegetation, they eat the flowers. That's what a locust does. But these locusts can't do any of that. So what does it say to them? 
Only those which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And we learned about that with the 144,000 in chapter 7. And those who robes are white. We know that there are those that are sealed for God. But these people that are not, these, these locusts are coming to them. They're going to torment these people. Verse 5, And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he strikes a man. Now, the five months we don't understand. Except this. Five months is a life cycle of a locust. Five months. And then they're pretty well gone. Okay? Could it be? We don't know. But there is a particular time mentioned. Five months is how long this is going to take place. And they're going to torment all of these people. Now, interestingly, look at verse 7. Here's what these things look like. They're in the shape of a locust, like unto horses prepared unto battle. They have crowns of gold on their head. Their faces are like the faces of men. They had hair. Now, if it was a horse, you would think he'd said the mane of the horse, but he got hair like a hair of a woman. And their teeth were as the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates as it were, breastplates of iron. The sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots, of many horses running into battle. They had tails like unto scorpions, and power were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king over them, which in the, is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, and whose, in the Greek tongue his name is Apollyon. One woe is past, and behold, there come two woes hereafter now <clears throat> let's kind of move over this first of all i had never seen a locust look like a horse have you now they're, they're, can you just imagine what john is seeing now there are those and, and there are theories out there that say this and some of these scholars say the same thing that what he is is describing is our weapons today now, we'll, we'll see something in, in just a minute that, that, that reminds them of a tank. But you can, you can talk about uh, having the teeth of lions. You, you talk about having the, the, the sting of a scorpion uh, in the tail. You can imagine that, that John is seeing all this, and the only thing that he can compare with what he sees is a horse. And it looks like that, and chariots. It sounds like that. Tanks, missiles. All of these other things we can put together and we can say, okay, this is what John's talking about. We don't know that. We don't know that's what he's talking about. Could it be? I'm sure it could be. Because you see, they're not eaten. The power comes from the tail, the sting. Now, I have never in my life, and, and don't jump up and give a testimony here. I've never in my life been stung by a scorpion. And I'm going to tell you something. It's not on my bucket list to do just to see what it feels like. But I'm sure there are several of you that say, yeah, I've been stung by a scorpion. I know how that feels. Well, I don't, and I don't want to know how it feels. But I do know that there is numbness. There is a, there is a driving pain that comes from that scorpion. And John said, this is what's going to happen. Now, when you look at that and begin to think about everything that John is saying, you have to ask yourself, is this physical or is it spiritual? 
You can't kill them. And I want you to look at verse 6 right quick. This is the key verse in all of this to me. And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it and shall desire to die and death will flee from them. Could be physical. But folks, there's also, you hear the noise constantly over and again, like the sound of a chariot. Hundreds and hundreds of chariots. You hear the noise. The sound of the locust is coming. And can you imagine, he said, they, they had the face of a man. And this, anytime it talks about that, it talks about the intelligence. So he has, he has that kind of face. Could it be that he's describing this Antichrist that is going to begin to tell people that God is not real. God is causing all these bad things to happen. God is doing this to you. God is doing that to you. God is causing all of this. And then with everything that he's got, he's preying on your conscience and your mind. And you say, do I worship the Antichrist? Do I worship God? Do I do this? Do I do that? And all of a sudden, we don't know what's happening. Folks, I don't know about you, but I've seen people that have been so upset and so uh, inclined inside that that their minds just begin to think things and they they don't know what to do and they begin to wring their hands and and things begin to happen to them and they can't figure out anything to do except maybe just try to lay down and die and they're not going to be able to die. Could it be that Satan is using the Antichrist to to, uh, reach in and to bite and to sting these people? Could be spiritual as well as physical. This falling upon these people. And they say, I want to die, but they can't die. And then notice the woman's hair. The woman's hair. The mane. The horse. The hair is like that of a woman. Now, ladies, you're not going to understand what I'm fixing to say. But you old boys are going to catch on right quick. We look up and we say, look at that blonde. Look at that brunette. Hey, did you see the redhead? You see what we notice? Don't tell me you don't, guys. I know you. I know you. We see, we see a, a beautiful face. We see the, the brunette hair. We see the blonde. We see the redheads. We see that, and we notice those things. Could it be that he's talking about the allure of what the Antichrist is trying to say? Because it, uh, a, a woman's hair and, and the, the features of the woman can be seductive and, and draw people in. And Satan is beginning to draw people in. And to destroy their willpower and destroy the things that they're trying to do and, and trying to keep their families together. They can't eat. All has been eaten up by the, the uh, seal that was broken. All of these things have begun to happen. Could it be that they're trying to cry out? The breastplates in verse 9. The breastplates are so solid that the cries didn't affect them. They don't care what you think. They keep jabbing. They keep pointing. They keep drawing you. You're doing okay. Don't stop that. Oh, it'll be all right. You're tough. You can handle that. I like people that think they're just going to stride into heaven and say, God, I didn't need you now, but I'm going to come up here and live with you in in this place, so just leave me alone. No, you won't. No, you won't. They don't care. They're after you. Apollyon, 
Abaddon, I know most of you look at that, the angel of the bottomless pit. Both of those words, the Hebrew phrase uh, Abaddon, the Greek phrase Apollyon, both of those words mean destroyer. Destroyer. Folks, that's what Satan is, is a destroyer. His minions are destroyers. Okay? And that's who is over the bottomless pit. To destroy. To destroy your will. To destroy your mind. To destroy you as a person. And that's what they're doing. You've been unleashed. They've been unleashed. And that's what's going to be happening. And then all of a sudden, the sixth trumpet sounds. Verse 13. I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. Now, we've already talked about that. There, there is a brazen altar that burns continually, that offers the sacrifice. Once a year, the high priest comes in and put blood on the golden altar. The golden altar is now before God uh, at the throne. And when he blows his trumpet, there's a voice that comes from the golden altar. And it says to the sixth angel which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. Now verse 15 is where I got the title of my message. And the four angels were loosed which were prepared for an hour, a day, a month, and a year. Now don't try to add all that up. Because what that means is, before this world ever began, God had a month, an hour, a day, a month, and a year set. And these angels are going to be loosed. The tribulation is already moving forward. Okay? Now it's time for the angels to be loosed. Bound in the great river Euphrates. The river Euphrates is mentioned all through the scripture. It runs from uh, the Armenian mountains down to the Taurus Plateau and it comes down into what we call Iraq now. It teams up with the Tigris and then empties into the Persian Gulf. The river Euphrates. Now these, this river Euphrates, it talks about these four angels. Were they evil angels? Were they God's judgment angels that were sent? You can decide that or here's what I think. Daniel chapter 10, when Daniel was going through all of these visions that God was giving him, all of a sudden, the angel was coming to tell Daniel something, and he couldn't get to him for three weeks, 21 days. Michael, the archangel, had to come and fight off the angels so that Daniel could receive the message that would come from God so that he could tell the others what needed to be done. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in twenty days. Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I come to make thee understand what shall befall the people in latter days, for the vision is for many days. Those angels, I believe, Michael came, he bound them. And release Gabriel. Four angels. North, south, east, west. He bound them. We've already seen them. Now God says, turn them loose. Michael had them changed. The exact time comes. And then look what happens. Verse 16. 
And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000, and I heard the number of them. 200 million soldiers. Dr. Criswell, when I was reading the thing that he said, I, I forgot how wide it is, but it's 187 miles long for 200 million soldiers to march. Now, in John's day, there wasn't 200 million people on the earth. And yet he sees this number, 200 million. And we look around and we say, you know, they used to say, well, China's got that many. They used to didn't have that many. But if you take China and you take Indian, India, they all have well over a billion people. And you can find 200 million people to march in an army. I'm not saying that's what it is because we're going to look at what John sees and what he says. But think of the 200 million. Now notice this. He saw horses in his vision. Verse 17. They sat on them having breastplates of fire, jacinth, and brimstone, heads of horses as the heads of lions. Were as the heads of lions. Weren't heads of lions. He's just like that. Out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. That's what they're going to kill them with. By these Three was the third part of men killed by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone out of their mouth. Their power is in their mouth and in their tail. Serpents, heads, and they hurt one-third of the people alive. That's going along with chapter 6 and 8 of the other people that have already died. So now, what is this? Is it a massive army? Is it tanks, missiles? airplanes. John's trying to describe them, and, and he, he doesn't know anything about all of that. Is, that. is that what it is? And that's what he's talking about. The emphasis of this is, is this. We don't know if, if those are actual people that are going to be marching. Not really sure. You look at that, and, and it says uh, there are uh, horses in this vision, and they are like breastplates of fire and of jacinth. Jacinth was a bluish color, like the flame of a fire. Brimstone was equated with sulfur, and it is yellow. So you've got that blue-yellow flame. So they, they would equate that with fire. So here is the breastplates of fire, the heads of horses as lions, and their mouth issued fire, smoke, and brimstone. Coming forth from them, that's their power. That's how they're going to be destroyed. Fire, brimstone. Is that the missile? Is that the bullets? Is that uh, all this other stuff that we have? There's no way for us to tell what that actually is. But here's the truth of the matter. It's going to happen. The fire, the brimstone, the smoke from the fire that's, that's already been put out with people dying. The fire and the brimstone, the, the sulfur that's going to kill all of these people that's being belched forth is it going to be this great this this mighty war we don't really know it doesn't really tell us that they're going to be like biting serpents is what he calls it uh the as like unto serpents in verse 19 heads of lions tails of serpents they're going to be hurt they're going to be destroyed by that particular power the angels are going to be loosed and there's going to come a horde that is going to fall upon this, this nation. Not much of a description I can tell you. I can just tell you basically what, what you're looking at here. 
And you can see why it's difficult to even try to picture that and, and get it in your mind. It's hard for us to do. But let me, let me say something to you, then I'm going to get down to my message. That was just an overture right there. It's going to happen. And I want you to hear me. It is going to happen. And if you are here without Christ, and you have been given into this illusion, you're going to suffer through that. You may try to die, and you can't die. The time is set. You better know it. You better understand it. God has the time set, and we don't know when it is. It could be at any moment. 20 and 21 verses really give us the rationale for this tribulation. For God's judgment upon this earth. Look at verse 20. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not, see that? Of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Verse 21, neither repented they of their murders, sorceries, fornication, or thefts. Now, I told you about the star. It was time for the star to shine. The star had fallen. It's time for the angels to be loosed. And the angels were loosed. Folks. It's time for men everywhere to repent. Now, don't, don't turn me off here. My heart has been overflowed with what I'm about to tell you and what I'm about to say. For the last several months, I've been, I've been talking to the church about we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to fear. We don't have to let this virus dictate who we are. Don't let it identify us and don't give in to it. And I, I've done my best I, to help you to understand that God is still in control of this and God is at work and God is going to do what he wants to do. We don't have to fear. But right now, there are people that are sitting in this auditorium that are watching on Facebook, that are listening on the radio, that have never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And my message to you today is there is a time set for you to receive Christ and it's today tell me that you won't have an accident tell me that you can't get some disease that they can't cure tell me that everything is is, is under your control and there's nothing going to happen to you you can walk out the door and you can fall over so can I and I'm not any better than you are, but I'm going to tell you something. If I fall over, I'm going to see Jesus. And I'm going to be with Him. And I can say that with assurance because I know that He saved me. And it's time for men everywhere to repent. So I'm going to ask you a question. Why in the name of all that's good would you come to hear and know this and say, Okay, I see that. Why in the world... Would you turn around and walk away and die in your sin? Why would you do that? Why would that happen? Why would you not just turn loose 
of where you are right now and receive Christ as your Savior rather than going through the destruction that's going to happen. Verse 20 said, they repented not. Repented not of what? They repented not of the works of their hands. I can do it. I can do it on my own. I don't need God. I'm, I'm this, and I can do this, and I can do that, and I don't need Him. I don't need the church. I don't need you. Yes, you do. Folks, you do. I need Him. I need Him, and as the song says, I need Him every hour, every moment, every day. I need Him, and so do you. Why will you die in your sin? They wouldn't repent of worshiping the devil. Well, I don't worship the devil. No. You may not bow down physically and worship him, but you follow his path and follow him along as he leads you and say, it's okay, we're on this broad road and we're heading right for that, that great city. It's the same thing as worshiping the devil. And he's leading you right down to the pits of hell where he belongs. Materialism is what he's talking about. Why this, all of this materialism that you hang on to? We worship things that are not divine. Wood, silver, brass, stone, money, things. We worship it. That's what we're after more than we're after God. That's what we're after. All of these things, he said, they have no human ability, but yet you hang on to them. And then in verse 21, it says, they don't repent of their murders. And you say, I hadn't killed anybody. When you get into this tribulation, I guarantee you, you're going to fight for your life and you're going to maybe have to kill someone or someone's going to kill you. I don't know, but you better repent of those murders. Sorceries. You know what that word is? It says sorceries there. It's the Greek word pharmakia. Guess what word we get from pharmakia? Pharmacy. Guess what's going to happen? Drugs are going to play a big part of this tribulation. It'll dull the senses. It'll dull the mind. It'll dull the heart. It'll dull everything about you. And God says you don't repent of depending on them and not depending on me. Your fornication. The lust will rise. People will take either of the wives and they'll kill to do it. Wives, husbands, it doesn't matter. It's going to be lawlessness. Do you understand? Lawlessness. Antichrist is the only one that has any power. They're thefts. Lawless by the lawless one. God has appointed a time. And you have to be ready. You can read that in Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31. And Paul said to them, he said that God has appointed a time of judgment that is going to come. So why would you choose to die? Why would you live without repentance? The disciples were talking to Jesus about a tower that had fell on some Galileans. And they were wondering about where they'd be in heaven or what was going to happen to them. And Jesus said, I'm going to tell you something. Unless you repent, you'll perish just like they did. Satan is leading you into a pit of hell. Separated from God, separated from your family, separated from your children, separated from your wife or husband, separated from your mother, your dad, or all of those who have accepted Christ. And there you sit with too much pride to say, I need Jesus. I want to live forever with my family and walk out of here and saying, I don't need God and shaking your fist in his face. He loves you. He died for you. He doesn't want you to go through this mess that we've described here. 
He doesn't want that to happen to you. But you're on a road to destruction. There's a narrow path that leads to eternal life. There's a broad way. Right at the end of that is your destruction and hell, separated from God, from everyone that you've ever been a part of. You'll be in darkness. You'll be in pain. You'll be in torment. The fires will burn against you forever and ever and ever and ever. Don't you understand that? And you say, preacher, I just can't buy your theory. You can't believe all that stuff they wrote there in that book, and I don't believe that's going to happen, and I don't believe this, and I don't believe that, and, and I, I, don't, I don't believe you have to go to church. I had a guy tell me uh, Thursday, he, he looked at me and he said, he asked me what I did for a living, I told him, and he said, you know, I think that people can have good thoughts and not go to church, and I said, well, I can sure discuss that with you, and I'm going to win. And he just laughed and said, probably so, and he left. I want to tell you something. You may sit here today and say, I don't believe all of that. Uh, it, it's not going to be everything that you say. It's just kind of a scare tactic. Let me ask you a question. Just suppose every bit of it is true. If you know Christ as your Savior, we prepare ourselves for that day when he'll take us out of here, whether in a box or rapture us out. All right. All right. If you decide it's, it's not all true, and you say, I'll take my chances, I don't know why, but you say, I'll take my chances, then you're going to die without Christ. Your pride your selfishness, your I'll do it my way, I'll do it myself. I can do it just as good as anybody else. I'm just as good as you are, and I don't believe all of this. Your pride will destroy you. Your selfishness will destroy you. Your thoughts that Satan is putting in your head are going to destroy you. But I want to show you just how much God loves you and what God wants to do for you. Listen to these verses I want to read to you. And wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, you ready? Which will deliver us from the wrath to come. Listen to this. For God has not appointed you to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today, harden not your hearts. Listen to what God is saying to you. God loves you. He wants to save you. This is Palm Sunday. It's going to lead us into Friday. Friday is Black Friday, they call it, because that's the day that Jesus died on the cross, and he died for my sorry soul. And he shed his blood so that I could kneel as a 12-year-old as boy and say, Jesus, I need you. And he saved me. Yes. Thank you, Lord. I'm not worthy of it. 
I don't deserve it. But Jesus Christ loves you so much, he died for you. He paid it all for you. Jesus paid it all. That's not just a song, folks. That's the truth. He paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed me white as snow. I am cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. You can be cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Why would you die in your sin? Why? God has done everything he can do to save you. Why? And I'm leaving that question with you. If you're here and you've never asked Jesus Christ into your heart to save you, and you've got this, this uh, John Wayne mentality. I've, I've seen those guys, you know, they walk around like this. I saddled up, I ain't scared of nothing. You can walk like that here. But when you get before God, you're going to walk in like this. And you're going to tell him every good thing that you did and every, all the pride that you did and how great you were. And here's what's going to happen. Jesus is going to cover his head. He's going to turn and look at his father. And he's going to say, I don't know him. And God said, neither do I know you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Now, do you want that? Or do you want to hear this? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the glories of Almighty God. Which do you want? It's up to you. My heart breaks for you. You need Jesus. They repented not. They asked the mountains to fall on them. They wanted to die. They couldn't die. What's your decision? It's up to you. You can play church. You can play like you're saved. Being a member of a church isn't going to save you. Going through an ordinance in the church isn't going to save you. But Jesus will. And he wants to save you right now. Would you? Receive him as your Savior today. If you've never done that, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. Invite Jesus into your heart. And you can walk out of here and say, thank you, God. Thank you. Let's pray together. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. My friend, this isn't just some little deal that I come up with, folks. It's the truth of the gospel. If you're here and you've been through all the, uh, the ordinances and all the things, and you, but you've never asked Jesus into your heart, I want you to search it right now. And if he's not there, I want you to get ready to pray a prayer with me to receive Christ as your Savior. But you have to do it in faith, saying, Lord, I've never been saved. Man, woman, boy, or girl, I want you to say that to yourself. I've never been saved. I've never asked Jesus in my heart. Then I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. Dear Father, I know that I'm a lost sinner. I believe Jesus Christ died for me. I believe he rose again. By faith, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me of all of my sin. Save me, Lord. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving my soul. 
Now, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it from the depths of your being, I want you to get up and come down here right now. I want to talk to you. Just get up and come. Don't, don't stop. Don't let anything keep you from it. If your husband or wife sitting there saying, move, I got to go. I got to go. Just come here right now. Maybe you said, I, I wanted to pray that prayer, but preacher, I, I just didn't get it. Come down here right now. We'll pray it together. I'll make sure that you get it. Maybe you're looking for a place where you can worship and, and say, man, we, we've got a gospel to share. I know people that need Jesus. Come and, and be a part of the fellowship of this church. By letter, by statement for baptism, I can explain it all to you, but you need to come. We've got to do what God wants. What does he want you to do today? If he's speaking to your heart, get up and come right now. Right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, speak to our hearts, Father. Give us boldness. Give us victory. Your spirit is moving. Touch us. Save us. Change us. In Jesus' name. As we stand together, as we sing, don't stop. Begin to walk. As a couple, having church home, need to be saved, you come right now. Come.